Hi everyone, welcome to uh, another episode of the Science and Dance podcast. Um, doing this one from the comfort of my home. Um, it's been a while since we've recorded a podcast and decided to take all of these and now put them on YouTube, which is great. Um, but today it is just me. Um, if, if that's boring for some people, then I'm really sorry. But I have, don't have a special guest, but I have a number of them lined up over the coming weeks. And I'll tell you why. We are Right now we're amid the whole coronavirus COVID-19 crisis and the UK seems to be doing things slightly differently to everybody else um, but nevertheless we've got I've got a variety of people from around the globe who are currently in quarantine in isolation messaging me saying apart from the obvious what can I do to stay healthy and fit and the first thing I'm saying to people is come on guys look after your health um, dancing is Unfortunately, although it earns people money and there are many professional dancers asking for help, there's nothing more important than your health and looking after those around you. So even if it may seem like keeping in shape and everything is a priority, please prioritise being happy and healthy um, before you're dancing, if that's the situation that you're in. Um, some schools over here have closed, some haven't, some university programmes have closed. Um, that hasn't happened to us yet. Um, fingers crossed it may not need to because of some economic impact that that might have in the UK but we'll see and I'm not here to sit and judge whether or not places should close or not what I am here to do is take you through a question and answer session which I've been meaning to do because people send me questions quite regularly and some of these will be relevant to those that are worried about how they're going to keep up their strength and whatnot when they're not in the studio Whereas some of them are more generic ones. So I'm just going to kind of reel off, um, firstly, what's coming up over the coming months uh, in terms of science and dance, hopefully. What's coming up in terms of um, podcast. Um, if you're not already following Core de Ballet on um, Instagram, the lovely people at Core de Ballet will be joining me soon um, for a little chat on the podcast, which I'm really excited about. I'm having a chat with a friend of mine, a colleague of mine, Kyle Eccles, who's based down at Trinity Laban over the coming weeks. I'm going to see if we can get him on the podcast. There's also professional dancers around, the, around Europe and in the UK that are keen to come on and share their experiences with you all about being professional dancers. And that's not just ballet. Um, there's going to be dancers coming on who are from the field of musical theatre. There's going to be dancers, people coming on from contemporary companies. There's, we're going to have a variety of teachers coming on to talk about um, safe dance practice and how to develop young dancers and I think that's really really crucial. I'm also going to do a plug for a colleague of mine as well if um, it's not necessarily dance related but if you have chance to go over to the gymnastics growth podcast the gymnastics growth show um, hosted by Nick Ruddock uh, a colleague of mine Hannah Whelan um, former Olympian is on there talking about her experiences in gymnastics and trans transitioning from being a gymnast to being a coach which is really really fascinating and it's a great a great, great listen for about 40 minutes. So, episode seven of the Science and Dance podcast is just me, as I have mentioned. But I'm going to go through some questions here on my phone that people have sent to me um, over the past couple of weeks. Um, and it's pretty, pretty random and pretty general, but nevertheless, still relevant to those of you that can still get to the studio. So let's try this first one. Um, it won't necessarily come from people um, who 
have names that are easy to say given the fact that they're Instagram handles, but we'll we'll see how we go. The first one is from NKM1710, whoever that is. Hi. Um, what can athletes learn from ballet? If we're talking about generic athletes, talking about team sport, what do I personally think they can learn from ballet? Um, besides the obvious physical qualities such as balance, coordination, alignment, awareness, positioning, which, to be fair, you could probably get from other things such as yoga um, and Pilates, um, what you'll get from dance and ballet in particular that you won't get from other crossover training is uh, a sense of uh, inherent traditional discipline in the way that dance classes and ballet classes in particular are structured, which I think is a good thing. Um, and also there's an element to moving to music and moving in time with music that um, allows for an, another level of attentional focus because you are moving in, a, a, um, in coordination with an external stimulus that isn't necessarily um, a visual one. So normally when you're an athlete and you're on the pitch, let's say, and you're, you've got a, a football coming at you, you're reacting to the way that that football is coming towards you. And that's a visual response. So it's a visual uh, cue to evoke a response in a certain way. In dance, you're, even though movements might be choreographed, you have to move in time with the music. And I think that um, lends itself to uh, a more left field skill development that traditional sports wouldn't necessarily feel or experience. So I think there's um, a deeper level of cognitive concentration that can come from having to do something in time of music and can you get things right, do it in time of music and be artistic at the same time um, because dance is all about expression. I think there's a lot to be, a lot of deeper things to be learned from ballet class other than just the physical. Um, which is an interesting question to be honest. I'll probably expand on that with some other people in the future. Um, other questions include... Hello, science and dance. Well, that's not a question, but nevertheless. I, you're, oh, you've given me another question there. Oh, that's good. Okay, so... Recovering and coming back to dance from tendinopathy, or ten, this person's mentioned tendinitis. We, we have kind of refer to the 21st century, well, 2020 certainly, and over the last few years, we refer to tendinitis within this group of tendinopathy. And that can take many forms, such as um, overload to a tendon. Um, it, we could have significant acute trauma to a tendon, uh, which is a little bit difficult, uh, more difficult on the rehab side of things. But if we're just talking about what was traditionally called tendonitis, um, then realistically recovering from tendonitis or tendinopathies or basic tendinopathies, if you can call any of them basic, um, is all about load management as a result of many things. But they kind of fall into the category of of overuse injuries um and those overuse injuries i believe um if we were to if we were to live in a perfect world can be avoided now hear me out because many people go oh, no you can't avoid these injuries tendonitis and tendinopathy is part of being a dancer it doesn't have to be at all tendinopathy is a result of workload placed upon a structure 
outweighing the capacity of that structure. Period. We tend to get this response of pain in a tendon or around a tendon, whereby the tendon has become inflamed as a result of that increase, that either sharp increase in workload or um, a response to workload over time without sufficient muscular strength or rest to combat and allow a muscle and tendon unit to adapt, basically. Those seems to be our layman's terms um, kind of mechanisms for tendon injury, whereby it's not acute. So rehabilitation of those, and this question actually goes on to say, should I rest, should I strength train, or should I stretch? Well, we know from resting studies around, well, rehabilitation and rest um, and a few studies highlight this, and I can put those studies in the, in, in the link afterwards, that resting at muscle and a tendon may well, in fact, get your symptoms to go away. Do they solve and heal the tendon? Probably not. So what we're talking about with rest is really just symptom management. So if you've had to come off dancing to because you're in pain with a tendon, don't think that because your pain's gone, you are healed necessarily. And that should be what the information that we spread really is that we need to build a tendon's resilience and robustness and a muscle tendon unit's ability to be loaded to and past the point that we're being asked to load it. And that's, that's really, really crucial. Um, to understand is just because we, the, the symptoms may have disappeared in terms of tendinopathy doesn't mean that we are ready to return straight back into the level of dancing or movement that we were doing when we got injured. So the rehabilitation process is really about, in the gym, certainly in a gym setting, finding out what we are capable of doing day by day, week by week, in terms of loading before we say, hey, right, go back into the chaotic setting of dance or sport and just um going willy-nilly so i have like a rule of thumb for these like these overuse injuries which is we have to do it in the gym before we do it in the studio okay so if you can handle a certain amount of loading reps weight whatever impact in the gym then it's i'm saying yes okay crack on and do it in the studio if you jump into the studio and you're going, I'm not sure whether I'm ready to do this or I've not tried this in practice in a closed environment, a safe environment, then you're probably on the cusp of will it or won't it impact my tendon again. So we have to be sure that we're not treading on the boundaries of overload again because that's where the re-injury occurs. Now, what we know from uh, the organization of tendons and their, their makeup um, is that we can train tendons that have um, downgraded themselves in terms of their integrity um, back to being pretty healthy. Now, that doesn't necessarily compare with MRIs and, and ultrasound, so I'm not even going to go there today. But nevertheless, you, we can look at 
load tolerance and look at markers for strength that imply whether or not a tendon is capable of receiving that load. Now, one one big, if I think this person in particular is referring to the patella tendon based upon their question. So traditionally, that would have been called like jumper's knee or examples of like examples like that. Um, we can use a variety of types of exercise to help strengthen the muscles around the knee to support the patella tendon and apply force across the knee um, so that jumping and landing doesn't bring about as much pain. Um, and that, unfo unfortunately, unlike common belief, it doesn't just involve jumping under a barbell and doing some squats. If you have severe patella tendon issues, the last thing you're going to really want to do is squat in its traditional form. I'm not saying don't squat. I'm saying jumping under a barbell and hitting a 1RM is not your, and getting absolutely stronger is not the, um, not the way that we should be going about this. So we start with isometric exercise. I'll put some examples of isometric exercise in, in this. Isometric exercise really just involves us placing load on the tendon and the muscles that link into that tendon, applying force to the tendon without changes in muscle length or joint angle. Um, whether they are truly isometric in terms of whether the muscle is just staying and the tendon is just staying the same length is yet to be fully conclusive. Um, some people have referred to these as extreme slows. Um, I think that's, uh, for example, like Cal Dietz and uh, a variety of other people across in the States refer to these as extreme slows. If you ever listen to Just Fly Sports, they talk about these extreme slows whereby you're holding a position, yes, but the muscle is constantly shortening and contracting and therefore the tendon is getting longer and longer in these isometrics. So they might not truly be isometric even though it looks like you're not moving. They're called extreme slows because that muscle is contracting and then the tendon is slowly getting longer. So there's a bit of disparity about what we call them, but we'll call them isometrics for now. And they are pretty safe. It's a really nice way to load tendons without placing extra stress because there's no change in tendon length, truly. Um, with regards to progressive exercise, um, anything that loads a tendon rapidly and makes the tendon store energy, store elastic energy quickly, um, is going to aggravate initially. Um, you can combat this, combat this by improving that eccentric and isometric strength and then progressing towards, if it's impact for jumper's knee, for example, or ten, patella tendinopathy, then we're looking at progressing back towards things like drop landings, single leg landings, assisted landings with bands or, or sub-maximal body weight um, landings initially as well. So for a nice example is um, with Achilles tendinopathy or FHL tendinopathy in rehab, we, in order to return somebody to impact, we use like a banded jump mechanism where they stand on a box, they hold on some bands and they accelerate towards the ground, but not at that the same extent of like 9.81 meters per second squared rate of acceleration it's a lot slower than that because of the bands so that allows people to go through the jump landing 
biomechanics without the speed, velocity, or the velocity and the force there to place a rapid load on the tendon. And is a really nice way to build some tolerance to landing again following that tendinopathy. So it's really not as, com- as, as, as simple as just, hey, I'm going to load up this tendon now, let's hope for the best. So you need to look beyond just the tendon itself and the exercise in the tendon itself, but looking, also looking at the mechanics of what you're doing. And also for, if we're talking about the knee, for example, looking at how the hip and the hip and the ankle support the movement of the knee. Um, do we have some kind of irregular um, or significant asymmetry between right and left that might be um, exploiting the weakness in the knee? as well so that's something interesting to look at so that that's a really really good question but there's no straightforward answer if anybody has some kind of like differing opinions on tendinopathy then i'm obviously happy to hear them but i think we can all agree that they do require loading they do require progressive load and for people to be um not aggressive but all at the same time proactive in their approach towards them you know often Thing, tendons can get worse with rest because the muscles that, that link into that tendon can atrophy if we just rest something so you have to build capacity of the muscle tendon system as a whole so that's kind of um, a good rule to follow um, next question is a really another bit of a long one um, that i I am going to get into is about this kind of stretching when injured thing if I can find it yeah here we go so I'm injured and I've been told not to stretch why might that be now that's um it's a difficult one because I've not really got any context there but if we're talking about muscle injury for example and um if if, if we take for example hamstring strains um Often in dance, particularly, those, are, those occur through either a, a slow stretching mechanism like shouldering your leg, splits, sliding down into the splits, um, or they can occur by a rapid change in muscle length um, whereby there isn't sufficient eccentric control. So, for example, it's a classic one in sprinters whereby they are cycling their legs over and as they come into hip flexion and their knee, the, 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 the lower part of the limb, the calf, the lower limb extends out at the knee in that kind of arced swing of the foot. Um, the hamstring elongates or has force placed upon it, an eccentric force or an isometric force placed on it, can be a bit of both. Um, that it can't tolerate as it lengthens. And as a result, we get like a pulled hamstring. In dance, it might be a flick jeté um, or a grand batman type action that evokes that, that hamstring to tear. And the reason initially you are told not to stretch them is because it was a stretch mechanism that you couldn't control that got you injured in the first place. So why would we add more passive load to something when it was a an external load or an extra well, an extra velocity based load that placed upon your hamstring in the first place? So it's we have to be careful with the language we use. 
mobility will only restore and flexibility will only restore once that healing process like gets going. So it seems counterintuitive, but like as that muscle kind of knits back together and heals through your rehab and your, your physio treatment and your exercise, you'll find that you are able to use more of its flexibility simply because the muscle can now tolerate being stretched. Um, you don't want to be stretching a torn muscle because it has longer implications for once you've rehabbed in terms of potential like what we call like neural hamstring um, injuries, which are a little bit more complicated and probably better for a physio to talk about than me. But certainly whereby we've got a fully healed hamstring, we can still have pain around the hamstring area because of that ex extensive elongation that, that the hamstring went through to injure it in the first place. Now, restoring hamstring mobility after hamstring flexibility or hip mobility after you've been injured again, comes down to controlling and you producing force um, at some end ranges. So if you, for example, a nice way to that we restore somebody's like Devlope and Grand Batman height is we do some end range isometrics with the antagonist of that movement, usually often the hamstring if it's to the front, for example, um, to allow it to adapt and build the ability to produce force at that end range so that it is happy to be elongated, if that makes sense. That's a good way to put it. So often people say to me, I have reached my maximum tolerance for stretching. I don't feel like my stretching routine is getting me any further anymore. If, if anything, I think it's hurting me. In that instance, I would say to people, look, we need to be a little bit more aggressive in terms of hamstring strength so that we could potentially stretch you further. And then also look at some end range activity that we can do to build a tolerance to that end range because it might be the case that your body is just not happy. It doesn't feel safe. It feels under threat. And uh, if it's in those long ranges, and you might want to do some exercise that helps give your muscle and your neurological system confidence to be in that, that position. Um, it's, really, it's really more complicated than that, but, but, a, but basically we can improve mobility by spending time producing force in those deep or elong, high, largely elongated positions. Um, you're a product of what you spend your time doing, basically, but aimlessly kind of swinging your leg backwards and forwards and pushing your body passively into that range. Um, is not as progressive past a certain point. Every single exercise that we do has the law of diminishing returns applied to it. So there will come a point where stretching is not as effective as it used to be. Um, and that goes for squatting, that goes for lunging. You know, you build a tolerance or you, you cap your, you, you have a ceiling on the amount that you can improve something f with a certain stimulus and then you have to look elsewhere. And that's where good programming comes into comes into question and it brings me on to like another topic that I like to talk about is you know people ask me when they see the programs on online or why am I not squatting every week well okay that's um I appreciate you might feel confident gain confidence from improving the, your squat numbers but like you're not training to be a squatter or a powerlifter or a weightlifter so the importance of the squat um is neither here nor there. If you're doing some kind of exercise that is um, a squat pattern, 
then maybe you are still getting the same stimulus such as the trap bar deadlift or conventional deadlift or a squat and even across the single leg exercises then maybe you're getting a, a better return by not utilizing the same exercise week in week out to try and get the same effect so often like i try to switch it up every two weeks for the dancers that i work with full-time is whereby um, we'll go through a, a, a tiny micro block of trap bar deadlift we'll go through a micro block of squatting we'll go through a micro block of of romanian deadlifting and then we'll switch after that kind of six to eight week block we will switch it to single leg exercises being the emphasis um, so that we are still getting the idea of producing force if we're talking about improve, improving hip extension and knee extension and vertical force production and overall spinal stimulus um, or skeletal stimulus um, then it doesn't really matter the exercise that we use there's no one better exercise than the other having said that People do still ask me the, ex the the question, which I've got it. I've even got it here, which is, what's the best exercise for me to do? Question mark, X, whatever. What's the best exercise for me to do to improve this or that? And I don't believe that there is one better exercise than practicing dancing to be a better dancer. You know, you there have been plenty of great dancers in the world without do that haven't done any strength training whatsoever and they may just be the genetic one percent or point one percent that have been able to do what they do quite naturally and even in some cases some strength training might have made them worse which seems counterintuitive based upon what i do for a living but we have to accept that there are scenarios whereby people do have a genetic capability to do certain things um, and they've natural, the natural selections take place and, and they have it there at the top of their game. Having said that, we can make more people um, successful at dancing by choosing a, the way in which to train their body at a given time. So, for example, when we look at... Um, strength training somebody that is hypermobile, they have all of the precursors to be incredible dancers from a very, very young age because of the laxity in their joints. But how many of those hypermobile dancers end up getting injured and therefore not pursuing a dance career because their crazy mobility put them into positions where they hurt their joints or hurt their bones or or fell over or rolled an ankle too many times. And so in those cases, strength training helps them stay knitted together. Then in you've got you've got dancers who may aren't maybe aren't as naturally flexible and have to pursue loading muscles in a certain way in order to help their flexibility. And then you've got dancers that um, are have an incredible ability to do jumping activities and move very, very quickly, but struggle with single leg sustained balance so you can strength train people as and when you want to based upon their needs now if you know that then you know there is no one single exercise that makes anybody better at dancing you just know that there are certain ways in which you can train somebody to help them achieve a certain goal that doesn't mean to say that the 
the the the side plank is better than the than the rotation exercise or the clam is better than a side plank clam or you should be doing sideline leg lifts or inside thigh leg lifts there is no single way that you can improve your dancing from any of those exercises if you build capacity to practice dancing so if your skeleton and your muscles and your tendons and and your cardiovascular system and you as a whole can push your push further into practice then you will become a better dancer because you could tolerate the workloads that enabled you to get better so it's a really indirect way in which strength training benefits dancers because dancing is just a question of practice to get better right so therefore what can i do in order to practice more should be the question rather than what exercise will make me a better dancer so i hope you're i hope you've enjoyed that kind of um brief insight into a q a with myself um there are loads and loads of questions that we get all the time and i'm gonna try and answer them um in future posts and other videos but i thought amidst the outbreak of coronavirus this this little q a series that i'm going to do in this next podcast series that i'm going to do um will give you some something to listen to something to keep inspiring you something to keep um the knowledge flowing and something to entertain you more than anything um if you're stuck inside or if you um I can't get to class, for example. I know there are some folks up at up, up in colleges in Scotland, for example, where their studios have closed and they can't access the studios to practice. And what I'm hoping to do is release some um, home workout videos, um, which I never used to do because I just thought, well, that's been done. But now I feel like I'm behind the times because home workout videos are suddenly, you know, sales of home workout videos are suddenly going to skyrocket. But you can bet your bottom dollar that they're going to be good and I'll get some uh, some high quality demos on, on them as well. Plus, I believe we are going to be releasing um, a sort of DIY ballet class series that you could basically do in your kitchen. Because um, some people are asking me, well, how do I stay in shape? Um, I've got some colleagues over in Italy who are messaging me on the daily going, what exercises should I be doing? How should I be training? When I come back to dancing, I don't want to get injured. And obviously that is a big worry for people because dancing itself keeps you injury free. And then when you suddenly go back to dancing all the time, you're going to be like, hell, this is really hard on my body. I don't want to get injured. So what I'm going to do is we're going to set up some um, ways that we can do some live classes with some teachers. We're going to set up ways that you can follow along with a class or two um, via YouTube and via Instagram. Um, so if you're keen to hear more about that, then drop me uh, an email at scienceanddance at gmail.com. Or you can access um, messaging me on a variety of ways um, on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, however you want. Um, what I will sign off by saying is that obviously your exercise, obviously eventually we will all go back to dancing um, and training hard um, and we do have to be mindful of um, your health when you do that. You might want to go hell for leather if you've been stuck inside um, and it is important to keep yourself strong, fit and healthy. So just for, especially if you're quarantined or in isolation because you, you when you go back into the open world, you know, there are... Um, a variety of things that can uh, 
be a downfall in terms of your own physical health. So you don't want to just be sat on the sofa the whole time. So we can give you plenty of things to do. Don't panic. But as I said at the beginning, priority number one is looking after your health, making sure you are washing your hands, making sure you are, you know, looking at some social distancing techniques so that we don't spread this around um, much, much further. And despite what certain government strategies are, it's everybody's responsibility, to, especially within dance community where we are so close and we do intermingle and there is lots of physical contact is make sure that you are um, being hygienic and looking after your own health so that we don't further spread this wider to our within amongst, amongst ourselves. So you can look forward to some extra content in terms of podcasts from me, some YouTube videos coming out, um, some more Q&A sessions with just myself, plus some special guests coming along, and then also some um, live videos and some Instagram classes and some YouTube classes and strength workouts that from that will be available to you should you not be able to get to the studio or be able to get into class or get to the theatre, for example. For now, where I'm based at Chaos Dance is still up and running. Um, we're, st- we're staying open um, and we've kind of just got it. We've got some supposed to have some performances coming up and they're, they're still going ahead. And we're very, very fortunate to be in that position, but at the same time being extra diligent to look after each other. Um, and we're very lucky with that. However, if you are stuck at home, message me, get in touch, happy to help you. Uh, even if it's just to cure some boredom and um, pass the time, I'm more than happy to have Skype calls and FaceTime chats with people to help you set up programs. If you want to get in touch, um, just to reach out and uh, if you want to come on the podcast, you're a professional dancer or work in professional dance or musical theatre and you want to come on the podcast and have a chat about your experiences within your career, then I'm more than happy to have you on. Um, just let me know. And I hope this has been a good little Q&A and passes some time for you. Um, in the future, I'm hoping that we'll get back in this. Everybody will get back in the studio soon without being untouched. I hope that coronavirus isn't affecting you where you are um, and your loved ones. But do look after our elderly. Do look after yourselves and have a very, very good week. <laughs>